will be in us a desire to live for Him and to please Him. Not always. We all go through stages and situations, but the overwhelming desires should be to please Him. We looked at how there in verses 5 about uh, if you love Him, you will keep His commandments. If you remember, and we went all through the Bible and looked at the seven or eight times that that is talked about, about loving and hearing from God and then keeping His commandments. And so... Uh, Nehemiah is burdened to rebuild the wall. He is burdened about what is going on in the nation of Israel. And tonight, if you're taking notes, we're going to look at how to take belief and put it into action. How do we go from knowing what to do to doing it? How do we go from feeling conviction to putting it into practice? And so Nehemiah chapter 2 and we're going to jump right in. And so if you're taking notes, and I, I hope that you will, uh, the first thing I want to show you tonight is that God will put you in a place to be used. God will put you in a place to be used. Starting in verse 1, it says, and I think this is going to be short tonight, so I'm hoping not to make my liar out of myself. Uh, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. We don't know exactly what the setting would have been here. We don't know if this would have been a giant uh, a party or festival like you read about in the book of Esther. If you remember, it was a time of wine and celebration. And he says, bring the queen. And the queen wouldn't come. If you And uh, so we see that. So we don't know if it's that. But yet the fact that the queen is mentioned here very soon is we don't know if this was a private gathering. But in, no matter what the setting was, whether it was a, a small private gathering or a large feast, servants were required to be like robots. They, they were not to be, to be heard. They were not to be seen. They were not to be emotional. They were supposed to come in, do what they were told, and leave. And from whatever purpose was, though, Nehemiah had a relationship with this king. He had, and we see that later on here. But the king notices that something is wrong. And let's be honest, all of us can, can hide it for a season, Right? But if, if you're upset, most likely the people that know you are going to know it, right? And what he says here is, but you're not sick, so what is going on? What is bothering you? And I think this is important tonight to know that if a king noticed that about his servant, how should we as God's people care and know that about each other? Right? The Bible says that we are to bear each other's burdens, that we are to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so I think it's very important tonight that if we're going to be used by God and to find our place, we have to recognize that it's not just about me. I don't come just for me to church. I don't come to Sunday school just for me. I don't, I don't just come to be, to be fed. I come to one, have relationships with other people as well for them to be there for me in a time of need, for, 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 and vice versa. 
And so I really think this is important because in this setting, he is aware of what's going on. And God had to break Nehemiah's heart in order for the king to find out what is wrong. Now, don't miss this tonight. This is a hard truth, and I don't even like it. But sometimes God has to humble us so that we will allow others to use their spiritual gifts. Sometimes God has to allow those that we love to go through difficulty to get our attention. And if you're aware of what the Bible says over and over again and in different times and different places, that the Lord will get your attention whatever it takes. If God can get your attention through blessings, He will. If you and I, as most of us are, are more stubborn, sometimes God has to allow us to go through difficulties. He has to allow the idols that we have made in our life go through difficulties. And that's what we see here. Whatever Nehemiah was going through, if Nehemiah had not cared about the Jews, the king wouldn't have asked. If Nehemiah's heart hadn't been broken for the city of Jerusalem and he would have went about his business the way it was and, and showed no emotion and showed no uh, remorse, then what would have happened? Nothing. And so as God's people, I really do believe that honesty is what we need. We need to be willing to love people in their difficulty. We need to be willing to let people love us in our difficulty. And what we see here is if he hadn't been emotional about it, he would have what? He would have missed being used by God. And so I think this is very important here in verse 2 because it goes on and says, So I became dreadfully afraid. If you know anything about this time, if a servant did not please his master, guess what the punishment was? It's death, right? It's not like you made your employer mad and they let you go or they put you on two-week suspension. Uh, literally, that's the end of things. If you remember Joseph, and there were two servants in prison with him, right? And Joseph has the dreams and interprets the dreams and... And one gets back out and, and goes and serves the king. And the other one, what? Was killed, right? So servanthood is not really a great uh, career choice, right? It's not like you work in the union and can't get fired here. This is, the, this is the epitome of this is not what you want. So I became dreadfully afraid. And so I think it's important to see here that Nehemiah is used by God in a mighty way. But yet that still doesn't mean that he wasn't worried, that he wasn't afraid, that he didn't have the same concerns that you and I do. You see, many times we think, well, if I serve God and follow God, or if I make a mess of things, then, then it doesn't affect me. No, it does. Friends, all of us struggle. All of us have fears. All of us have doubts. How many of you love to get in front of people and talk in a public setting? How many of you would love to get up here tonight and teach Bible study for me? One. That's wonderful, right? So you all have a fear or a dislike of public speaking. How many of you hate snakes? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got some of those. How many of you? Uh, how many? How many of you have a fear of flying? How many of you have a fear of crashing if you fly? <laughs> all of us, right? Right, as the old joke says, how far will that one plane engine get us? Right to the crash site, and. Uh, but it, we all have fears. And in our life, each of us deal with things differently. 
So, a new opportunity for you might cause great fear. A difficult decision might cause you great fear. The pain and heartbreaks of life might cause you great fear because what was causing Nehemiah to be afraid was what? A fear of the unknown. A fear of what's going to happen when the king knows. And that's so important tonight because look what he says here in response to that. And said to the king, may the king live forever. This is just a commonplace like you would say in England, God bless the queen. All right? Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? And this is a very significant statement here because Nehemiah teaches us how to address difficulties. You say, the Babylonians would not have buried most of their dead. I don't know if you knew that or not. They would have left them out and... Many times wild animals would have ate them, uh, birds would have picked them clean, uh, some families would have disposed of them other ways, but burial was not a big deal. Except if you were, and you guessed it probably, royalty. Royalty were buried. Royalty were honored. And so he is appealing to something that the king would have understood. He is saying, just like you want to be buried, just like you want your royal family to be buried, He says, the place of my father's tombs, the place where his family is buried, lies waste. And its gates are burned with fire. And so what we see here is that Nehemiah is not being deceitful. Nehemiah is not being trickery. Nehemiah is trying to get the king to be able to relate to what he's going to. Now, we have quite a few school teachers in here. And uh, you can teach a wonderful lesson, right? And it go way over the head of your students, right? I mean, that happens here every Wednesday night. No, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. It's just a, just a joke. Um, but I've been in class enough to know that there were lessons that the teacher had prepared, the teacher had planned, and it was way above my pay grade, right? That happens in sermons. Why? Because you have to know where people are at, right? You cannot teach the same way to a senior in high school that you do a kindergartner. You you can't teach to college the same way you can to a preschooler, right? You just can't. You have to know where people are at. And what we see here is that Nehemiah was trying to get him to relate. That's why I think it is so important for God's people that we are a place of love and forgiveness. Because why? I know what you've been through. Or you might know what I've been through. I don't know what everyone's been through in here, right? Okay, I've never been a pregnant mother and will never be a pregnant mother. And so when my wife begins to talk about pregnant mother stuff, I'm like, I don't understand, okay? But for all you ladies who have been pregnant, you're thinking, amen, sister. Swollen ankles, sore back, moody behavior, right? I'm just thinking I want it to be over, okay? I, yeah. Yes. But why? You can relate to what they have been through. That's why, uh, let me be real quick in here. Okay. That is why when a parent buries a child, that they are in a very select group of people. And I know people mean well, 
But if you go through the line of someone who has just buried a child, whether they are 12 or 20, and you tell them that you know what they are going through, you have no idea. And I say it for this reason. You expect to bury your parents. You, you expect to bury your grandparents. You either figure there's a 50-50% chance that you'll have to bury your spouse. But you do not start out having children with the expectation that you will what? Bury a child. Same way with grandchildren. And so it's the same way with cancer survivors. Why is it that at the high school basketball game when they have the blackout night and they let the cancer survivors walk that everyone doesn't walk? Because I don't know what it's like to fight weeks and weeks and months and months of chemo and sickness and, and that. I, I don't know. I've never been there. And that's what we see here tonight. And so tonight I want to say this. Just because you've been through it, if it's been bad, if it's been hard, if it's been difficult, if it's been good, you should understand that God can use it to make a difference in the lives of other people. And God can use what other people have been through to make a difference in your life if you'll let Him. But look what we see here. Not only does God put you in the places to be used, God will open up the doors to go through. Then the king said to me, What do you request? I don't know if you know this or not, but I am guessing that uh, that the President of the United States does not on a regular basis ask the people that that does his laundry or tells him where he is. Uh, uh, I'm, that, that was uncalled for. It came out before I even thought about it. Um, what they need, right? Why are you upset today at work? Why, why are you a little sad? I'm sure that's not what's on his radar. Think about the crisis in Ukraine or the prices of gas or, or whatever that's going on inside the president's head. Probably caring about the people that serve him is low on the list. He probably didn't go down the kitchen and be like, man, I noticed that the, the, the sweet tea was just a little too sweet today. What's, uh, what's going on in your life, right? The, the sub sandwiches were good, but they're just a little off. I wonder what's wrong with Alicia today, right? What had her sidetracked from making those sandwiches? She made my sandwiches, but it was just meat wrapped up in cheese, and it was awesome. So I shouldn't have ate the whole plate, but, you know, but that, or the 15 pickles with it. That's true. I'll give you that. Give you that. But when it was made in love, what was I supposed to do, right? So. Because I had a ham and cheese sandwich with no bread. You got to have something in there, right? Pickle bite. Anyway, it's a, that's a story for the other day. But you think about that, right? Why, why would you ask that? Because God was preparing a situation and God was opening a door to accomplish something magnificent. But don't miss this. Don't miss His response when opportunity was given. He didn't say, I answered Him. He said, so what? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Even when opportunities arise, you should still seek the will of the Lord. Even when difficulties are faced to you and I, we should seek 
the face of the Lord. Many times what looks like an opportunity, what looks like a door to walk through, we still should pray because God might not want us to go. Or if it doesn't look like what we think it should, sometimes God will want us to go. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has favor in your sight, I ask you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. You say, well, that's not a serious request. I mean, Ezra asked the same thing. Well, when you realize who he is asking, it becomes a serious thing. The very same king who told them to stop building is the very same king that he is asking to what? Build again. And don't miss this. How many times have you recently seen a political party in power make a law and someone come up to them and say, I really wish you hadn't raised taxes and I would love for you to lower taxes and those in authority said, sure, we would love to change the rule that we just made. And in this setting, the king had what? Absolute power. And to reverse an edict that he had made would have been to admit that he was wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I love admitting when I'm wrong. I love it. It's like the thing I look forward to the most. And even though I don't think I'm wrong, I live with seven females. I'm always apologizing for something. Doesn't, I mean, it's something all the time. But we see here that Nehemiah asks something remarkable. And it's something that from an earthly standpoint wouldn't happen. It just would not happen if less God was in it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And will when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. You see, this is why we know that Nehemiah was a faithful servant. That Nehemiah would have been a man of impeccable character. That he would have had the king's trust. Because why? They're worried about when he came back. Now, if your UPS man come up this week and said, uh, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while and uh, I hope that your packages get delivered here. Uh, most of you are not going to say, well, how long are you going to be gone? When are you going to be back? What do you need? You know, <laughs> Just tell us what you need. Now, I've seen the way some of you order Amazon stuff, and so uh, that person deserves a medal for as many deliveries as they make. But, uh, but that's what we see here is there is a genuine concern, a genuine care for him. Now, it could have been selfish, right? Because as we're seeing in today's market, good help is what? Hard to find, all right? And so a servant that was trustworthy, a servant that was loyal, even if there wasn't a care and compassion for him, there was an understanding to realize that he was useful. And so I always encourage people to be useful. <laughs> they might not like you, but if you're useful, that will change the game. Or in as I tell my children <laughs> um, about the teams that they play on, be good enough that they can't sit you on the bench, right? I tell my oldest one, be good enough that the team can't play on Sunday morning without you. And if they get tired of getting beat on Sunday morning, they'll move the games to Sunday afternoon. And guess what happens? More times than not, we have found, they'll move them back. And so I tell them, do what is good and let the Lord take care 
of the results. And it says here in this setting that they set a time, and so they have got a plan, they've got uh, something to accomplish. But I don't want you to miss here in verse 7, because not only does Nehemiah ask for the bare minimum, Nehemiah asks for more. He says in verse 7, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadels which pertain to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. He says, not only am I asking to go, I am asking that you will send with me everything that I need. Whether it's protection to get through there, whether it's a the official paperwork to get the people off my case when I get there. It's the material I'm going to need to not only build the temple, not only to build the wall, but he even asked for a personal place to live. And look at this. He asks for everything that he needs, and what does he say? And who gets the credit? And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. I believe that this is one of the biggest areas that we fail as believers. And that is having the boldness to pray big prayers. To ask God to do amazing things. I think we pray most of the time and when we get done asking for what we ask for, we put, if it's your will, on the end of it. Not because we trust the Lord's will, but because we want that to be an excuse if the Lord's prayer, of our prayers are not answered the way that we want to. Right? I believe that many times that's what happens. We don't pray with the confidence believing that God can. We don't pray with the faith knowing that God can. Now, does God always give us what we need, want? No. But we should pray with an honest expectation that God can do anything that God can work and move in situations that we have long given up on. And he asked for literally everything that he would need, and he says that the good hand of my God upon me is the reason why. Have you ever prayed for something and God did more and exceedingly than you asked for? Nobody. Okay, that's terrible. Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and that's how we should believe. Now, that's not talking about like what Jesse teaches on television, right? That you send me a thousand dollars, you know, and I better not quote him because it's not, that's making fun of him and that's not godly. Um, but I'm not talking about that. But we should be praying with the expectation that God can work and that God can move and that God can do these things. Because what we see is that then God puts all of the pieces into place. And I'll, I'll stop there because I know that you're, I know that you want to, you have something that you really want to say. Absolutely. So the question is then why do we, why do we worry about everything? Right? We, we know that gas prices are high and elections have consequences and we, and we know that, that there's so much going on in the world that we can't control, but yet, 
Over the last two years, I think we have saw that fear has controlled uh, our country. Uh, I think that today we're seeing fear is still controlling our country. As one president said, and I won't quote who he is, never let a crisis go to waste. And so we see that people understand that fear is what drives most people. But as Christians, fear should not drive our decisions. Faith should drive our decisions. That we believe there is a God in heaven who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is all places, who has everything worked out from the beginning to the end, who has knowledge and control and wisdom, who is sovereign over all things. Because when we see in verse 9 is, we don't just see the planning and we don't just see the provision. We see God provide. We see Him provide. And I think that's the thing that separates God from us, right? We've heard lots of promises in our life, right? We've heard lots of people make plans, but most of the time what I have found out with people and plans is there's a letdown, right? But in verse 9, that's not what we see. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. I think this is interesting because I heard a preacher say one time, see, Ezra was a spiritual man because he didn't need any guards. And Nehemiah was not a spiritual man because he needed guards. Well, that's not the reason that one had guards and one didn't. And I'll tell you why I believe this and how it applies to your life. One, Ezra was on a theological mission to prove that God could take care of everything. That God would provide, that God would work, that God would move, and that he needed nothing but the Lord. Nehemiah is going on a political mission. He is going into a land where people will not respect authority, and he has been given what he needs to accomplish the mission. So, whether God heals you by a divine intervention or whether God heals you through the expertise of a medical profession, it's still healing. Whether God changes the heart of someone that you are praying for or whether God doesn't change the heart of someone you are praying for and they go into a time of difficulty and a time of heartache, know that God is still working. But how God works is different. It looks different in different situations. And this is very important tonight because what I hear from most people is, well, that's not how, that's not how God worked in my life. Or that's not how God worked in their life. Well, friends, God knows the struggles that you have. And the areas that I'm weak in, you might not be weak in. The areas that you're strong, I might not be strong. And so God knows how I need encouragement. God knows when I need correction. God knows when you need correction. And so what we see here is that God has provided exactly what is necessary for the situation that Nehemiah is going through. And so tonight I really want you to think about this. Godly counsel is important. You ought to surround yourself with godly people who can give you godly wisdom, but never trust the wisdom of people over the wisdom of God. Because God might ask you to do things that make no sense to other people. Now, I don't think He'll ask you to do something sinful, but there will be times that God might call you to do something that He doesn't call me to do. Uh, God might call you to go on a mission trip that God doesn't call me to go on. 
<laughs> a few years ago, um, uh, we had a church member that was uh, having um, some uh, uh, aneurysms removed on both sides of her brain. Uh, and she was not in this state. And uh, I just was praying for her. And I know what you're saying. God hears your prayers no matter where, right? I, I got that, all right? But I just felt in my spirit that I was supposed to fly out there and be with her when she had her surgery. And uh, I just knew that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Uh, I don't never bought a plane ticket before, so Ben had to get the plane ticket for me and the hotel and the rental car. And, and uh, then I thought, well, shucks, I don't know what I'm going to do because they only fly out of of uh, mid-America on Thursdays. They don't fly out on whatever day I needed to leave. And so uh, uh, Gary Brzezinski and uh, Bob Conaway said, hey, we'll drive you to Lexington and we'll drop you off. That's where they fly out on this day and uh, you will get you there because I don't know if you know this or not, but if you drive to Lexington and fly out of there but have to fly back into St. Louis so that you can preach on Sunday, there's a problem if you drove your own car. Lexington gets a free vehicle. And some of you might have that kind of money, but my junk vehicles are all I can afford, all right? And so somebody took me and provided that for me. I got down there, was able to be with them and, and to pray with them, and she's and the surgeries went well, and she's well, and they've all moved back here, and so the Lord does correct people when they go astray, but just kidding, Lois. Do not tell your grandma I said that. <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing, but... But I felt like that's what the Lord wanted. You say, well, Jake, I've never felt like the Lord told me to fly somewhere for someone. That's okay. That's fine. God might tell you to go across the street to that neighbor that's been letting their dog defecate on your yard and just invite them to church, even though you cannot stand the fact that their dog does that to your yard. I don't know what it is. But friends, we have to believe that the Spirit of God is working and moving in our lives that He has a purpose and a plan for our lives, and that if God called each and every one of us to the same mission field and using the same methods with the same purpose, things would not get done everywhere else. And you have to be okay with that, right? There's only going to be one song leader, and it ain't me. God didn't call me to lead the singing. You ought to be glad. He called Jamie to be the song leader. And I can promise you that if I come in Sunday and say, Jamie... I don't think we need you anymore. I'm going to be a one-man show. He'd probably be like, well, okay, Jay. <laughs> but there would be some serious you-know-what to pay. All right? Because that's not how it is. And that's the same way. If I just showed up to random Sunday school class and said, you know what, I heard you were teaching this class, but I think I'm going to take over and teach for a while. You'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because God has called each and every one of you to a purpose. He's given you spiritual gifts. He has created you and made you the way He wants you to be. And you need to embrace, not the sinful nature that we all have, but the ways that God has created you and the mission that He has given you. I know that a lot of pastors don't like to go to the nursing home. They don't like to go visit at Heritage Woods. They don't, that's not their mission field, right? They want to be cool and, and where it's at, I, whatever. Um, but I feel like that's something that God has called me to do. I like going to church uh, and doing church at Heritage Woods one Sunday a month, mostly because it's all hymns that whole time we're there. But uh, no, I love to minister and listen to people. I, I love going to the nursing's home. And I'll be honest with you, I got to put a lot of Vaseline under my nose sometimes because I got a real weak stomach. 
And I've been known to walk down the hallway with the dry heaves, and that's uncomfortable for everybody. But I feel like that's what God has called me to do. And so hospital visits, nursing home visits, I feel like that is what God has called me to do. You might say, Jake, I just can't. But I have no problems working with teenagers. Look up here. I would rather go to every nursing home and every assisted living and every hospital than have to lead the youth. All right? Because I, I just, I don't, that's not my area. It's not my calling. It's not my gift. But it might be yours. And so I just really want you to see that, that God works what He wants from you, how He wants it. Because in verse 20, when Sanballat and Horonat and Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there an animal with me except the one on which I rode. I went out by the night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up into the night by the valley and viewed the wall when I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. You see, Nehemiah goes out and looks at the damage. He looks at all the walls that are down. And, and if you've looked at this picture here of the city of Jerusalem... Um, and I know you can't see it probably from here, but if you'll come look at it, uh, Jerusalem is built on this hill, and the original city had this lean-to, for the most part, down the side of the hill. When it was destroyed, this uh, western wall collapsed. And if you know anything about stones and rocks, is they roll uphill, right? No, they roll downhill. So all of these homes down this cliffside would have been what? Crushed. And no one had done anything with it. It had just been left there. And so Nehemiah inspects the damage. He is expecting the fact, hence why when they rebuilt the wall, they didn't build it down there. They built it up on the side of the hill. And you have to be willing to find out what the problem is before you fix it. You have to be willing to recognize and honestly get before God and say, here is the problem. This is the issue, God. I know this is what you've asked me to do. I know this is where my weaknesses are. Because look what it says in verse 17, and I will quickly try to run to the end here. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. And the final thing I want you to know is prepare for opposition. Prepare for opposition. Nehemiah got this burden from God. He got this provision because God had laid it on the king's heart. He had got protection to go do what God wanted him to do. So you would think if God called him, God provided for him, God had a plan for him, that God would have removed all the opposition when he got there. Right? God, why would you call me to something 
knowing that there is going to be opposition. That doesn't even make sense. But look what it says here in verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? And I don't want you to miss this. When opposition comes, what is the answer that you should give? Right, he could have argued and said, well, the walls need to be this, or the king wants this, or all other things. But this is how he answered. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build. But you have no heritage or right a memorial in Jerusalem. Uh, I believe it was Winston Churchill, and I can't think if it was him or not, but it was somebody said that if you try to stop and throw a stone at every dog that barks on you on a walk, you will never reach your destination. And friends, Satan will try to nibble you to death like a minnow, right? He will try to get you sidetracked on good things, on bad things, on busyness, when God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so all Nehemiah says is, God will take care of us. God is going to provide for us. God will take care and finish what He has called us to do. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, the New Testament says that He who started a good work in you will what? Will complete it. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that no matter how difficult the situation is, no matter how broken it all seems, no matter how difficult what you're going through is, that God has a plan for your life. That God has a purpose for your life. And I really do think that that's one of the things I struggle with the most is the simple fact of God, do you really have a purpose in all the mess? God, can you really work in spite of me? And I think we have to get back to believing that He can. Each and every one of us cannot let the mistakes, the brokenness, the rubble that is in front of us keep us from believing that God can use us to accomplish His purposes.